This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They are making me put a warning label on this podcast talking about adult language and adult situations. First of all, these kids are already adults. They've had phones in their hands from the time they were four years old. They're watching porn, they're smoking, they're cussing, they're having sex. But I have to warn them about my podcast? <laughs> Whatever. Electric acid. What you saying about... What you gonna they do? say it comes in threes. <laughs> and I'm not sleeping for two years. I just told you I got no sleep. I'm scared to go to sleep. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome to Nightmare Rose Stories, the best podcast right now where we talk about the craziest experiences that comics have had on the road. I'm your host, Alicia Cooper, and we're going to have a good time today because I'm talking to the one, the only, <laughs> Mr. George Wallace. Your mama's face looks so much like a horse. Donald Trump tried to screw her. No, you didn't say that. First of all, you need to leave my mama out of this. And I'm gonna leave this out your mouth. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Good evening, good afternoon. Keep going. Oh, yes, but I can't believe the craziness that's happening in the country now, George. They are actually assaulting NBA players. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they throwing popcorn on them, trying to hit them in the head with water bottles. And one guy done ran on the court at the Washington Wizards game. Like, I think people been cooped up too long with COVID and they going crazy. Well, <laughs> that, see, that's why I should be in charge of the sports and entertainment of the world. 
Because I don't think what these guys are getting hit with is they've been uh, banned from Madison Square Garden and all these places in the, in, the, in the Washington Wizards last night. They're banned from the arena. I say let's, aban- let's ban them from all arenas and let's hit them with a $10,000, $20,000 fine. And the guy that spat on uh, Trey from Atlanta, he should do at least 30 days in jail. We got to hit these people in the, in the pockets where it hurts and yeah. fans will know, don't, that's a no-no. Yeah. That's a no-no. And this gets a little racially involved for me, okay? Yeah. Because yeah. it only happens to the black players. Yeah. And that's 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 and it's been happening for years in baseball. Can you imagine what Hank Aaron and Jackie Robinson and Willie Mays went through? It's amazing. And uh yeah. just because of this kind of color of your skin. So yeah. I don't I know we're supposed to be doing comedy, but this is serious business and we have to talk about this sometime, you know. So they're going crazy and uh we gotta stop these people from throwing items on uh, uh from the stands. Exactly. And these people are only so crazy. You, you, they're not going to do that to the NFL players. You know they're not going to do that to them. They're doing it to the basketball players because they think they might have a shot at not getting their ass beat. But you know, when people think of football, they think of O.J. Simpson. And they do not want to get ran into. So they ain't that. Yeah, the NFL ain't have, to, ain't have to worry about that. But you know, when we getting along too well, you know, TV, everybody does stuff to try to break the races up again. Like, they'll do stuff we don't talk about no more, George. Like a 10-part OJ miniseries. Yes. They, I'm like, we getting along. Let's x on the OJ. Hey, we getting along. So you say, I've read when you, you have me cracking up. You always have me cracking up on Twitter. And tell the people what you said. Unfortunately, we know recently the legend Paul Mooney passed away. You said Paul Mooney died and John Will spoon died to tell her what you said about what you gonna do they say it comes in threes <laughs> and i'm not sleeping for two years i just told you i got no sleep i'm scared to go to sleep <laughs> the great paul mooney I, I heard you i saw your announcement on paul mooney and god bless him he was a great comedian and he was a different prolific writer we all know about everything everybody wrote for for seth and son to red fox and living color what a great guy he was. We're going to miss him. And when I got to Los Angeles back in 1977, Paul Mooney was one of the first guys I saw on stage. He, Richard Pryor, and Dave Tyree. I don't know whether you know Dave Tyree. But back mm-hmm. in the day, all three, they looked identical. They all had the same afro. And you couldn't tell who was who. I thought there were threesome. Somebody said maybe they were. <laughs> no. <laughs> but they, they, what a funny guy was. And I tell you what, and Richard Pryor used to use the N-word before he went to Africa. You you remember that? I remember and that. He, he came back from Africa and said he would never use the N-word again. Well, that happened. That lasted about six months. <laughs> and it was back. But nobody used the N-word more than Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney just, uh, uh, actually, we clocked him one night doing 97 N-words in his set. 97. And when today, to this day, that's one of my favorite jokes Paul ever did. Would somebody please make that nigga stop saying nigga? Now, that's what he said. <laughs> and what I like about the two of y'all is y'all uh, are, have two completely different styles, and it shows that black comics are not a monolith. You know, we have all different kinds of voices. Are you kidding? How about you? How smart and brilliant you are. When I watch you on stage, I go like, oh, my God, she's so good. She's so good, you know? You came to Las Vegas on the road and you had a wonderful time and I had a wonderful time and the audience loved you and uh, you do so much. And I tell you what, you produce all these shows and the movies, the movies you do. Yeah. I'm so proud of you and I love well, it you. because young ladies like you are paving the way for the future. Yeah, and I want you in my next one. And I you know, I charge, I charge a million dollars minimum. 
<laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I got to go back to doing stuff I stopped doing in the 80s to get this million dollars. I knew I had met you somewhere before. <laughs> On the road. <laughs> when I had good knees. <laughs> On the road, on the corner. I knew I'd seen your face somewhere. In the booth, in the corner, in the back, in the dark. In the dark. <laughs> You're too nice. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, we want to get into your road story because you've been on the road since for how many years now? I started. Here's my road story because it goes from day one to now. Okay. I started comedy in 1976 at a club called Catch a Rising Star. This is on the road. I met a little young man there that is to, to this day is my best friend for 45 years. And that was Jerry Seinfeld. I guess people might know. Some may not know that I'm the real George on Seinfeld. I'm the one that was the real roommate. Well, we were sitting at Catch a Rising Star auditioning mm-hmm. at Catch a Rising Star, waiting to go on. And then uh, he was a little, a little Jewish guy at the end of the bar with very, 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 very thick glasses. And I was a little black guy in the corner. And so we just happened to start talking to each other. And, and I had a car. So living in New York City, if you had a car, you had a friend. <laughs> Because that's how the comedians got around in cars. And so we became best friends and for 13 years lived in the same apartment. And not all the time at the same time because I was usually on the road. Because when I first did The Tonight Show in 1977, I did uh, Tonight Show back in the day. If you did The Tonight Show, you were working almost forever. So on a Thursday night, I did The Tonight Show. On Friday night, I was in front of uh, 17,000 people working for an opening for Natalie Cole. Ooh, Natalie Cole. I worked wow. with her for years, for uh-huh. years on the road, and I did not know what was going on in her life because I was a new young comedian. Mm-hmm. And every time we go somewhere, we go through Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I said to the piano player, I said, why the hell did we keep going through Chicago? Because I'm a transportation specialist. I know they got flights nonstop from St. Louis to New York City. We were going to New York City, okay? Right. And he says, this is the pickup. Stop. Uh-huh. Right, right. I did not know about the drugs back in the day. Mm-hmm. So we would go through Chicago, and that would be the pickup for wow. the drugs. Yeah, so, and I found that out, and I'm just going, like, oh, my God, she's doing drugs? I didn't know. I was, I mean, you know, and I never did any drug in my life. I never smoked a joint or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then I had the same thing with, with uh, Marvin Gaye. I'm the last comedian to work with Marvin Gaye at the Radio, Radio City Music Hall. And I was out on stage one night and I was doing really good. And New Yorkers loved me. I was supposed to do 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And after 15 minutes, a little guy came out on stage on his knees, crawling on his knees and yanked my leg and says, stretch it, stretch it. And I chewed his ass out. I said, you could have, you see me stand, you could have just gone like that against the wall over there, you know? And, and I had to do 45 minutes. I got a standing ovation at Radio City Music Hall because Marvin Gaye was out of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was doing drugs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you hear that story about so many greats. It's almost like they feel like that's what they need like, to fuel the machine or something. Like they can't go out without it. Well, something happens after you, uh, you know, so many different road stories. They can't sleep. They're up drinking. There are so many ways to put you on a separate road. It's just something that mm-hmm. I'm glad I never got involved in drugs. I just mm-hmm. doing comedy is my drug. Yeah. I get high doing comedy, so. Yeah, yeah, that's good. They say don't even start it because you don't know what. I remember that's my right. aunt, She she's not here anymore, but she was on crack cocaine. Where is she? Where is she? She's not here. Where is she? 
Did she kick the bucket? She kicked the bucket. And Did I she, asked get her, she got her wings? Because people don't, you know, black people don't die no more. Black what people start. She made her transition. <laughs> he made his transition. Kicked the bucket or bought the farm or. Uh, yeah, another yeah, bucket. Yeah, went, went on to heaven, went she's on here. Yeah. She's in a better, in a better place. place. Yeah. <laughs> pushing up tulips. She's pushing up tulips now. All kind of crazy things like that. Oh, my God. So, I asked my uh, aunt, I said, what, I said, what does it feel like to use crack cocaine? She said, it's like you're getting 10,000 orgasms hitting you all at once. I said, don't nobody need to know what that feels like. Nobody. <laughs> nobody. You're crazy, fool. <laughs> Look at my face. <laughs> Now that's only three orgasms. <laughs> Ten thousand. See, I said I knew it was something because they kept going back. The first time she must have go like that was crazy, but I'm gonna try it again. <laughs> I'm gonna try it again. I'm it's like I guess it it's like being on a roller coaster when you throw your arms up. Yeah, you you hollering, but you get right back in the, in the line and exactly. start the craziness again. <laughs> I, that roller coaster ride is amazing, isn't it? You go the it first is. time, you go like. Oh my God, oh my God. Okay, let's do it again. Let's do it again. I rode Space Mountain in Florida like eight times. Mm, mm. I eight know. Times. It's yeah. exhilarating. I remember when my father first took me to an amusement park and I was too short to get on the rise. And you talking about somebody falling out in that amusement park. I had to straight back. I was screaming and hollering. My father went over to the man and said, please. Let me take her on this ride. I'm her father. I will be on here with her. The man right. saw me going so crazy. He said, go ahead on and take her. Get, her, get always, her ass out of here. Get her right. ass out of here. I always wanted to be on the, uh, the rise. I ain't care how old I was or how short I was. Let me on this damn ride. You done brought me all the way here to tell me I can't get on. What kind of mess is this? <laughs> but now it's $120 to go into Disneyland to these rides. So yeah, yeah. you better ride everything while you're there. Don't want to eat. I went with my family, four of us, a foot long was $12. Everybody got three inches. Sharing a foot long. $12 for a hot dog? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I remember I was performing somewhere. I don't know if it was Idaho or somewhere, and the guy came and Wait, got hold me. On, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What the hell is a black lady doing in Idaho? It was a corporate gig, man. I think I was oh. the only black person they ever saw, but they were real uh. nice to me, though. They were real nice. I was the only one there. I, I said, I ain't commit no crimes. They're going to be like, the black girl did it. They're going to cuffs on me in five minutes. But when I got there, he picked me up late from the airport, and I was starving. The only thing that was open was a, a subway. It was like midnight. That was the only thing open. And so he said, uh, yeah, this is the place. So I said, yeah, I'm getting ready to go get me six inches or something. Why did he bust out laughing? I didn't even realize how I sounded. Right. <laughs> and laugh, give me six inches or something in here. That's amazing. When you get to a city... <laughs> When you get to a city, there's nothing open, right? I've been to Taco Bell one time in my life. That was the only thing open. And just, you know, when the shells or something like that, and the meat would come to grease. So I haven't been back to Taco Bell. I don't know what's in there. <laughs> I don't, I don't exactly. Know there. Well, can you imagine how many, I know a lot of comics that can't go on the road because they're vegans and they might get stuck somewhere that don't have vegan accommodations. So what do you think about this whole vegan movement? They look kind of sickly. They don't look. They don't look right. And I told all my friends a vegetarian. I said, "Look, you vegetarian, you vegans." My manager, matter of fact, I say, "Y'all gonna die on schedule, just like everybody else. Might as well eat." Yeah. But they even make vegan donuts now. All kind of vegan stuff, you know, and Impossible yeah. Burger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond yeah. Meat. 
Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't like all that meatless meat and breadless bread and chickenless chicken. Give me the damn real thing. Because like you said, the people, don't they don't look no better. I, I always say that's because you're not getting the four food groups. I don't know what you're getting, but it ain't the four food groups. You need the four food groups. Exactly. You know, so, what do you yeah. eat when you're on the road? What do you try to eat when you're on the road? Um, I try to eat better. You know, I try to eat some salads and things like that. As my mother said, get your roughage. You know, so I try to eat some salads and soups and things like that. Stuff that digests easily. You, you know, know, you can lose a lot of weight. Excuse me for cutting you off, but Don D.C. Curry, he lost a lot of weight. I said, what kind of diet are you on? He says, uh, uh, soup, salads, fruit, and toilet paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that works. And you know, as you get older, you need the stuff that digests easily. You need the roughages, as your aunt said. I need stuff that's easily digestible at this point. And it's a trip because as you get older, you start noticing stuff. All of a sudden, I need reading glasses. You know, my font got to be at 88 on the phone. People in the last row of the airplane can read my text messages. I'm in the first row. You know, it don't make no sense. Age oh, my God. You're talking like about this. getting older. Before <laughs> I called you, I was late because I couldn't find my uh, headphones. So I had to go in my bag and find an old set of uh, Delta uh, headphones. And it came in a bag in uh, the plastic, and it was sealed. I couldn't pull it apart. So I had to go get the scissors. When you get older, you can't open anything anymore. Even the cookies now. And and potato chips, you just can't go like you used to. It's not childproof. It's it's, it's just proof-proof. You can't open that stuff. It's amazing. When you get older, things happen to you. Your eyesight, you can't hear. I wake up at three o'clock in the morning sometimes in bed and my TV is loud as hell. And I go, you know, I'm from Georgia. I go, am I deep? We say deep. <laughs> <laughs> am I deaf? Am I deep? Well, you need to get them people together in Georgia. They wouldn't let uh, Dominique Wilkins in the French restaurant talking about he have on the right clothes. Everything Dominique Wilkins has is, is designer. So I'm trying to figure out how he didn't have on the right clothes. Anybody want to spend that kind of money on that food, let them in. You know what? You know why I'm looking that way. I'm looking. I'm looking at the restaurant right now where he was. Oh, I'm in Atlanta. I'm in Buckhead, Denver Park. I'm looking out the window. Can you imagine that? That has happened to me before too. There's a well-known restaurant called Houston's. You know, we've had some problems with the Houston's. Yeah. Uh, uh, this hat. They said, "I'm sorry, sir. We prefer for you not to wear. Take your hat off." I said, "Well, I prefer to keep it on." This is where our policy and our rule is that we uh, men take the hat off. I said, you see that lady over there with that big-ass hat on? Go tell her to take her hat off. I'll take mine off. And we got an argument. We had to call the police. These are antiquated ways of keeping uh, hip-hop kids, people of color, out. These yeah. these rules, you know? But I'm like, you see a black man coming, he's 6'6". Six, six. Assume he's somebody. Assume he's somebody. <laughs> but you know what? It pisses me off because I've been through all of this, you know? I, I wrote the back of the bus. Uh, I'm born, raised here in Atlanta, and I do not like, I think discrimination is up there with murder. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we are getting better, to be honest. Uh, these young kids, uh, it takes us back to voting. We got to vote. We got to vote. You see the changes that have been made here in Georgia. Texas is going to change. A friend of mine ran for Senate of Texas, and he lives in Dallas and Austin. 276,000 black people did not vote in the state of Texas. Two hundred and seventy-six thousand black voters. Can you imagine what a difference that would have made? 
But uh, my thing is, if you didn't vote, I don't want you to complain about nothing that happens in this country. You have forfeited your right to complain. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what we need is for this country, we need leadership that does not divide us. We cannot afford to have anybody standing on the bully pulpit dividing us. If you feel a certain kind of way, talk to your family members at home behind closed doors about that. Do not put division out on the forefront because everybody can't handle it. There's been a demon that's been unleashed on this country in the last four years. Something has been unleashed on this country and we've got to get a hold of it. We cannot afford to have the wrong leadership because that will just it, it makes it makes crazy people crazier. My God, are you are you talking now? What I want to say now is what you just, I was trying to make a joke last week about, I think 50% or maybe 80% of the people in Congress should be comedians. Do you imagine, can you imagine what we would get done in a day? Can you imagine comedians, uh, how quick we could just straighten up? If it's good for the people, give it to them. We know the social ills and everything. People need money. We got money. We got printers. Give it to them. I, I don't mean just... I don't want to be a socialist country, but I want to just take care of people, you know. Now, here's what Alicia would do. Here's what George Wallace would do. Here's what Jerry Seinfeld would do. You see that little piece of uh, uh, paper there? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like bounty. Here's the law. If you're born in America, if you have a Social Security number, you qualify to vote in all national elections sign president george wallace vice president alicia cooper <laughs> pass the bill and i say, I say we run Let, let's let's get let's get on the ticket together no i'm serious and we know we're gonna be done by four o'clock because we got a spot at seven so so <laughs> i think comedians should be in office uh, i wish we could go and get things done and then and just do the right thing and, and be on the side of truth. Yeah, and you're right because of the nature of what we do with thinkers. Like, you know, I get so sick and tired of people making excuses for things like not raising a minimum wage. They want to say cripple mom and pop and the little people. But look at people like Walmart who are making billions of dollars not paying their work, work, workers so poorly that the workers are on food stamps. Go, so you're working full time at Walmart and you're on food stamps. So that means we're subsidizing Walmart's employees. And that's why I think we should have minimum wage on a sliding scale. The mom and pay one thing and Walmart pay $22 an hour. Amazon $22 an hour. You know, so we so they won't be able to slide through with the whole mom and pop can't afford it. When people have restaurants, we pay. The waitresses make $2 an hour. We pay the rest. <laughs> go higher. Look at Amazon. Let's go to Amazon, making all the money in the world and paying no tax. No tax. I, I no. know they got jobs for people. We pay the tax that way, but right. they should. I would want to. If I made as much money as Jeff Bezos, I would want to pay. You would want would, would volunteer want to, pay. to pay. But Donald Trump pays seven hundred fifty dollars in taxes in ten years. So you know they 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 like. Well, he ain't got to pay. Why should I have to pay? He, but he, but you want to benefit from the roads and the highways and everything else like everybody else but you don't want to do your fair share pay your fair share and it, there's just i mean there should be minimum wage on a sliding scale you know i think, ways I think of- there should be a fair tax on a sliding scale do you know if everybody paid 17 percent of their salaries the budget would be balanced just like that and mm-hmm. people making less than thirty thousand dollars maybe they pay nothing mm-hmm. and then on a, a scale 15 percent 16 17 18 mm-hmm. hey, and, and and maybe no deductions I, these are some fair tax. I want to be fair for everybody. 
Because the rich people right now don't pay anything. Right. They got all these loopholes. I'm talking about, I got loopholes myself. Right, right. But I'm going to take these loopholes, George. You've had enough loopholes. <laughs> it would be nice if I were to just, wouldn't you like to just go down every Friday and say, here's my 17%. I mean, I, people don't get paid every week anymore like they used to, but whenever <laughs> you get your paycheck, what do people get paid now? Once a month, uh, twice a month? I don't Probably know. Twice a month. Yeah. Okay. But we're weekly when we travel. We're nightly when we travel and work on the road, you know. So yeah. Yeah. I would love to go down and here's my 16%, my 18%. Whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I do think you're right, though. You got to tell me one of your good road stories. You said something happened while you were opening for Tom Jones. Well, so much. Well, I've actually had such a great career that I don't have that many bad stories. I, I've done some bad things on the road. I, uh, I was with Tom Jones for five and a half years. Uh, these are pranks, and they loved me, and I loved them. I called them one day. They were in Cleveland, Ohio, and I had taken off on my own. I said, it's George. I'm, up, I'm upstairs. Meet me downstairs for breakfast. I called all 23 members of the orchestra and the band and Tom and the management. Of course, they were glad here. George's in town. George downstairs is going to meet us for breakfast. And they all went downstairs in the, in the cafeteria, and they said, we, we're looking for uh, – a tall black guy for breakfast and the hostess says, there's a lot of people looking for that black man. <laughs> I was in Los Angeles in bed. <laughs> I was in Los Angeles in bed. And they called me and they says, you some of them, they called me everything out of the book. I did like, I did a year in a row with George Benson, a year with Nana Cole, two years with Donna Summer. I mm. did, uh, I worked with Eric Smokey Robinson. You did Donna Ross? I did Donna Ross for a year and a half. Oh, working with the boss. Oh, my God. Uh, she was so good. I, I first went to Las Vegas up on the Caesar's Palace board. It said, Diana Ross and George Wallace. And I said, oh, my God. And at the time, she didn't allow uh, nobody's name on the billboard but hers. I said, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. And uh, sure enough, they took the name. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you got a picture while it lasted. <laughs> yeah, I did. But, um, and I got fired that night because... When a headliner like Diana Ross is way behind the curtain to go on, every minute counts. So that standing ovation was a minute and a half those nights. So they said, after the, get rid of him. Oh, that, rid of him. oh man. Look, they penalizing you for being great like they penalizing Simone Biles for being great. Oh, my God. Simone, <laughs> I did a joke on her. Simone Biles, I said, during the last Olympics, I said, did you see that little black girl this morning? Oh, my God. Was she great or what? I was in front of 17,000 people at the Steve Harvey Neighborhood Awards. They went, yeah, I said, I haven't seen a black person flip, jump, and move like that since they whooped Rodney King's ass. And <laughs> <laughs> that was on the road. These are, these are funny stories. I don't have a lot of bad stories. And, uh, I'm not going to work on them either. I don't want any bad stories, but I just... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your life has been charming. When you talk about white people in the pizza, because one of my favorite female comics, rest of soul, is Joan Rivers. So I would listen to stories heard. Joan Rivers dead? Yeah, Joan, Joan, Joan. Joan Gold. I worked with Joan Rivers. I worked with Joan Rivers. I worked with... Uh, I worked with uh, Bill Cosby, speaking of working with people. But go ahead and tell your story about Joan Rivers. Yeah, well, well, her daughter Melissa said growing up in Beverly Hills, she never saw a woman have a second slice of pizza. And I oh. said, I never saw a woman stop it, too. <laughs> we had two completely different existences, Melissa. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> 
That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but you, as you talk about you and Jerry, and both of y'all are such brilliant writers and just brilliant talents. Um, when you come up with a funny bit and you're working it out, do you guys call each other about the bit and say, hey, I'm thinking about this and I'm working on that? Do y'all run material by each other? All the time, all the time. He's the one who says, you got to do that doctor story about the chicken when I shot it. And I'm not finished putting it together now. So when we write, we just sit down and say, that's a good subject. That's a good one. I need a tagline for this. He had a tagline for an older person in New York City. And, uh, and I said, and when you finish the story, uh, walking the streets in New York about old people, and all of a sudden they'll just go, and keep walking, old people. Just little taggers like that that we help each other with jokes. Like yeah. right now, I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find out. I'm trying to do a bit right now on uh, things that I need to get rid of since since COVID. You know, it's just like I walk in my house. I need to get rid of. I got clothing here that I've been wearing for five years, and I got brand. I order brand new stuff all the time, Alicia. But I keep wearing the same thing for four and five years. Things you need to get rid of. How about the, like even growing up in Georgia, how about the towels in the bathroom? I've had the same, you know, your grandmama, my mama had the same set of towels for 13 years. And you couldn't wipe your hand, you couldn't use those towels either. We had to wipe our hands on the walls. <laughs> so I'm trying to make up things. I need to get rid of stuff. Right. I need, to get rid, I need to do a garage. I need to get rid of some Trump jokes, all those old Trump jokes I need to get rid of. Cause I got to write a new act now. So yes, we do uh, uh, correlate and writing jokes. And well, you know, you know Trump you know. still think there's a chance that he can overthrow this election and get back into the White House in August. He said he'll be back in by August. August. He'll be back just, in August. Like, I don't know where the rest of us gonna be, but he'll be all, back in August. It'll all blow over by April, by Easter. It'll all blow over. <laughs> this guy was such an idiot, and people believe him. And you keep lying. I hope he's in jail by August. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm like, what Joe Biden going to do? Just walk out and let you take over? Like, what does he think going to happen when he comes to the door other than he going to get beat down by Joe's Secret Service? And Kamala Harris, let me tell you, Kamala won that election by herself because this woman checked every box. She, she black, did. she Asian, she Indian, she Buddhist, she Hindu, she married to a Jewish man. She, they say, Kamala, you gay? Well, I was a lesbian for two weeks at Howard <laughs> University. She done checked every damn box you ever imagined. Stupid. You stupid. <laughs> she says, I was a lesbian for two weeks. I am what I am. It is what it is. <laughs> Nothing that wrong with that. Check every box, and then I said, hey, "You could not vote for because what you know." Tiger Woods said he was Cobblin Asian. Uh, Kamala Harris is Cobblendian. All these new jokes, I gotta, I gotta get together before it's time to go back, Alicia. And uh, so that's what I'm working on, crazy stuff like that. Uh, yeah, well, look, anyway. for the, the year that I was uh, quarantined in this COVID, I done wrote all these jokes, but every joke I wrote is a joke that can get me canceled. <laughs> you, what you think about this cancel culture? Well, I'm the type of guy, you know, I do. I don't do a PC show, but I talk about anybody and everybody, and I love what I do. And I tell people right up front, I don't give a damn who you are. I will talk about your ass, but I will not embarrass you. Yeah, yeah. I will, you will laugh along with me, okay? Y'all pay my rent. I ain't crazy. I always love telling the story about the blind lady coming in late to my show. And I chewed her ass off of being late. I said, how the hell are you walk up in here late? You got somebody to lead and guide your ass around. I said, look at all these other people in this room that got here on time. That's what I said to the blind lady. Look at all these other people. She's standing on the floor. And I said, you ain't that damn blind either because you pointed straight at me. <laughs> and, and she was such a great, she said, Mr. Wallace, I love you. I love everything you do. I ain't studying about you, boy. And she sat down and she was the greatest laugher. And at the end of the evening, I said, you've been the best laugher here tonight. 
And uh, I'm going to give you a copy of my new DVD. <laughs> Those are great road stories, having fun. But yes, cancer look, culture. Look, George, you a copy of my new DVD with subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I knew I was going to get one joke out of you today. Subtitles. <laughs> How about that? No, but that's the power of laughter. And I'm so glad, Alicia, we have the greatest job in the world. What a blessing it is to walk out on stage every night and just lie and make up shit and people laugh and they say, you gonna come back tomorrow night? Hell yeah. Isn't that great? Laughter is the best medicine in the world. That's why I wrote my, my first book was called um, Laugh It Off. Make sure you enjoy your life. Yeah, laughter is yeah. the most powerful medicine in the world. And it's free medicine. And yeah. that's why we encourage people to overdose on laughter. Keep yeah. it in the reach of children. And when yeah. you start laughing for more than four hours, then you call your doctor and <laughs> give the doctor the prescription so the doctor can laugh along with you. But greatness, what we do, what did you do before you became a comedian? I used to produce talk shows. See, look at you. And that's why <laughs> you know how to do that. And now you're just making people laugh. Isn't it wonderful to have a job that you love? And I bet both of us, I'm ready to go to work right now. I don't even have an act, but I bet I could get away with doing 20 minutes up there just talking. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they will still give me a check. Can you believe that? Yeah, I believe it. I believe it because you earned it and you deserve the checks you get. And so, so tell me about what you're working on right now, because when I talked to you last week, you were on a set with Jack A. Harry and just doing some more massive stuff at Warner Brothers. Really? You know everything, don't you? <laughs> I, was a, I can't even believe I can't find my book. Well, first of all, I wrote a book. I'll get into the TV stories. Oh, I got some great stories. I wrote a book called um, Bull Twit. Bull Twit. And what not. And what not. What not is the most important word is because, have I seen, did I send you a book yet? No, I want my book. I get it when I see you in Vegas. You, you got a deal. You got it. And I tell you what, uh, I'm enjoying writing this book, whatnot. And at first, people said, "Why did you want to do tweet, get into the tweeting world?" Because I'm an elder statesman. Most people my age would never think about going to social media like that. And I'm not as good as I should be. I was voted the top 25 funniest tweeters in the world by Rolling Stone magazine. And and I got into it. I never wanted to do Twitter. I said, "Why should I give away my jokes for free?" Mm -hmm. And then I read more about it. You know, there's over 500 million tweets per day. Mm -hmm. I said, wait a minute, that, was, hey, that 500 million people not coming to my show. I said, let me start and share it with some of these people around the world. Right. And sure enough, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Because now, and, and, and the jokes are not full jokes. And it's just little online drop it, droplets uh, uh, yeah. from my head. It's just like things I would do. I don't play by the rules. I yeah. do things different. I don't give a damn anymore. I don't give a damn. Like, I'll eat cups, cakes out of a pan. Then I'll eat pancakes out of a cup. I don't give a shit, okay? <laughs> so you get into a section like that, I'll do things I don't do. You know, I'll take a refrigerator magnet and put it right on the oven. I don't give a shit. I don't play by the rules. I'll drink a half a glass of whole milk and a whole glass of half and half. I don't <laughs> give a damn. I said I don't give a crap one day and I laid it on and says, hey, Mr. Wallace, if you drink a whole glass of half a half and a half a glass of whole milk, you may not give a shit, but you're going to take one. <laughs> so this book is me and my replies. See, what I put down, my tweets, my tweets are funny, but the replies, it's like call and respond. 
what right. people give back to me is really good. I had a shout out to the top five bells in the world. The top five bells in the world. I had like Jingle Bell, Saved by the Bell. I had uh, uh, Cow Bell. Uh, and there's another few bells. Uh, uh, did I say Jingle Bell? Tinkle Bell. Uh-uh. And people wrote me and they got on my ass. Oh, that's just so disrespectful to taco. Oh, okay. you, you never wore bell bottoms? And they just kept, you never heard of Archie Bell in the drills? And they went crazy on my ass. But it's like that in every tweet. So if you get the book and if you follow me on, on Twitter at Mr. George Wallace, you will have fun. I love tweeting out the jokes. Where I'm not good, if when I could take these same tweets, I should be sending them right over to TikTok and also to Instagram. And yeah. that's because it's a new day with uh, social media. And yeah. you're good at that. You are really good at that. I'm lazy. What does it take for me to tweet uh, Instagram or TikTok the same thing I just said? <laughs> it's in the book. And, and this book is it's, it's about crazy things, online ramblings from my head, like how poor I were, where I was when I was growing up here in Atlanta. Like we were so poor that um, we could only watch Sanford. We never knew he had a son. <laughs> That's how poor we were. We were so poor, we could, we had to have chores we could scratch or sniff. We couldn't do it. <laughs> so this book has been going, like we're in our third printing already, okay. both to it and whatnot. So go online and really enjoy laughter. Uh, it's 140 characters, maybe 180 characters now. My hard copy is $140. This one is only $19.95. I did a joke with the hard copy because of the 140 characters at Twitter at the time. You know, we started writing a book a year and a half ago. Right. And I said, I said, let me just do that for the hell of it. People are buying it like crazy for a coffee table, uh, the bathroom, wherever you have these little book tabletop readings. Yeah. It's wonderful. And I'm having fun with it. It's just, it's just, uh, I, I just love it. And I got another book called More Bull Twit coming out, coming out. <laughs> So and yeah. Um, yeah, your stuff has me crying up. And I remember when you first got on Twitter, I watched you build up your social media and it was just astronomical the way you built it, you know, from starting out on Twitter to where you are now, because you kept the content going and not only did you keep it going, but it was always hilarious. I was like, where does he come up with this stuff? Well, wait a second. Where do I come up with it? I don't know that it's funny. These <laughs> are just little things in my head and people back it up with their answers. You know, like I say, the replies. Yeah. Like the other day I tweeted out, I'm sick and tired of people putting 15 chunks of the green melon with a honeydew melon in my fruit salad. Nobody likes that shit. Just give me, give me my pineapples and my strawberries. I don't, the green thing. Nobody knows what that green thing is. Nobody likes honeydew melon. What, it looks like an unripe melon. I don't know what it is, but the replies went crazy on that. And somebody said, just stop putting raisins in my chicken salad. <laughs> I was going, well, I, I like those raisins, you know. So, but tweet, tw- the Twitter world is fantastic. It's good. If you want to have a lot of fun, it's, it's just great to do. And uh, it's just a lot of fun, a lot of jokes if you like to laugh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know about. it's a lot of jokes. I'm, now, that's I one thing. Mine. That's my last book. Yeah, I got to put your name down, so because I normally charge people, but you've been nice to me today. Now, I just did a pro- uh, finished a project with, I'm at a different uh uh, desk now. I, I think I'm in Los Angeles at my desk. I'm looking looking around for the same things, but I did a show with uh, Phoebe Robinson. Do you know her? She yeah. has a podcast. Yes. She's one yeah. of those young, brilliant comedians yeah. like yourself. 
And her show is called, she wrote a book called Everything is Trash. And that's the name, name of the show, Everything is Trash. So Jack A is the mother. I'm the father. And uh, she's one of those new kids that uh, they have their entitlements and everything like that in a different world. And I had to come down old school on her because I said, listen, we are tired of you getting away with everything just because you're fun. It's time for you to grow up. After seeing your brother step up and running for Congress and office and making it, don't you think it's time for you to grow up too? So she never heard her daddy talk to her like that before. But you know how black people, once you get up out of a certain age, you got to do something to get out of this house. One of the two. Mm-hmm. So that's one show. Mm-hmm. The next show, I'm, missed, I'm doing a movie called uh, Bob's Burgers. I'm already Mr. Huggins. I'm a regular Mr. Huggins mm-hmm. on Bob's Burgers, okay? Mm-hmm. But I'm doing a show. I'm so blessed to be doing a show on the road. This is going to be with the great Norman Lear. Ooh! That's Norman awesome. Lear. Can you imagine show me? Can you imagine me going into a See, he knew me from a long time ago. He wanted me to do a show called 804 Houser Street, The Neighbors to uh, mm-hmm. All in the Family. Right. And I chose to do a new show on my own. CBS offered me at the time back in 1993. And it was called uh, Tall Hopes. And my son was Terrence Howard. Oh, he was real young then. <laughs> he was a young boy. And he went on to do great things. And then when I see him, I'm going to whoop his ass. He borrowed <laughs> $500 from me and never paid me that $500. <laughs> so Terrence, you're in for it. He's got I'm, it now. <laughs> yeah, he's got it. But I hope he never pays it to me so I can be on his ass all the time about it, you know. <laughs> and so, but this show is about, I went to Norman Lear and says, I'd like to, we are rebooting a lot of shows. I'd like to reboot Sanford and Son. I just basically want to hear the music. I just said, that would be one. He says, sounds good, but George, you do you. You do you. So I went back and I was talking to a friend of mine. His name is Dan. He helped me write a few of my books. And uh, he was telling me about it. He had two kids, twins. One was a girl, one was a boy. But the boy never accepted being a boy. He's been a girl in his mind all his life. So mm-hmm. I said, well, Dan, you got to love that kid no matter what. No matter let the kid do what the kid does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then it thought we went to lunch and we talked about it. And I said, oh, my God. What if I had a son that left the house and went away to do his thing? So that's where the premise came from. I'm an older man in Huntsville, Alabama. I had a wife and an old black man in Huntsville, Alabama back in the day, a joy anywhere. His job is to just put food on the table. The right. mother runs the house. The right. mother runs the house. So she died when he was 16. So I never knew too much about him. I knew but, you know, fathers don't really know because they don't get involved because he didn't play ball or any of those activities like that. But eventually he walked out of the house, took my car and left and went to New York City. 30 years later, he knocks on the door. Open the door. Hi, Dad, it's me. Me who? It's Edward. I said, are you Edward's wife? <laughs> Dad, it's me. Me who? And I slammed the door in the face. <laughs> so Laverne Cox accepted the role. So she's going to go to New York and do her thing and come back and knock on the door. And it's, my, it's almost like Sanford and daughter now. So, so is she like Ed, Edwin Edwina? Exactly. And she is going to be so great. And I'm going to be so mean. 
But the reason I'm being mean is because I have to be educated. America has to be educated to live and let live. And the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to take a few shows, but we're going to the church. The black church is the worst place for anything. So, you know, because you catch hell right there, right? And people are going to go, oh, that's a pretty lady. I didn't know Henry had a daughter. And I didn't either. (laughs) But what we will do is educate the church. Some people will like it. Some people won't. Eventually, I'll have her running for mayor of the city. And she may not win, but it does create the awareness and the exposure that people got to let live and have fun and educate people too. So eventually it gets around that she's living with me for years and things are coming together. And it's not only about being transgendered, but a lot of kids left home for other reasons, drugs, spousal abuse. So it's helping people come together no matter what. Mm-hmm. With they're bringing their families back together. The conflict is inherent in the creating of the show, and I will watch every episode. So you got a hit on your hand. Well, I appreciate that. We're just going to have some fun with it. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm just uh, happy that it's going to educate America because you know me. I yeah. love everybody. I don't care who you are, what you do. Do your thing. Yeah. As long as you're happy. I didn't miss a lot. I'm not married. I'm single. I, I don't have a, a wife. I ain't got no boyfriend either. <laughs> but I but I'm happy. I'm just, right. I'm a, what do you call it? I'm financially okay. Yeah. I can quit tomorrow doing it. I'm the happiest. I'm the most blessed person in the world. Blessed and highly flavored. Yeah. Let's put it yeah. like that. And so that's what I want people to do. Enjoy life. Enjoy your family. I got the best family in the world. My sister had four kids out of wedlock when I was younger. I think having all these babies and you know I got to take care of them. I don't like that. But to this day, the best thing ever happened to me in my life of those four kids. Aww. So sometimes it doesn't look like it's gonna be okay, but in the end, they take care of me. These are my kids. Same like Bernie Mac's story. I love these kids to this day. Last year, I had them all meet me at Kennedy Airport and they didn't know where they were going until they walked out of the lounge. I took them to the first class lounge at the upper class and uh, we had dinner. They had never seen anything like that. They'd never been out of the country. Steak, dinner, drinks, everything you want. So we're walking out of the club and they said, uh, Bye-bye, Wallace says, where y'all going? And my kid says, we don't know. He says, you don't know? No, he said he's going to San Juan or somewhere like that, but we don't really know what we're going, because I said, we're not going to go where we're going to go. He said, well, congratulations, you're going to London, England. They freaked out. They freaked out, because they had never, never in their mind thought they was going out of the country like that. And every three days, I would wake them up, Alicia. Tomorrow morning, have your bags ready to go at 6 o'clock. So six o'clock that Wednesday, we got in a taxi and we went to the train station. I said, we're going to, we're going to uh, Mutin, Munich, Germany. So we get to the train station, we get down, I get the tickets and we walk down to the uh, track and it was the train to Paris, France. Ooh. <laughs> they start crying. We're going to Paris, and it's just an hour and a half, two hours on the train, the mm-hmm. tunnel, you know, the bullet train. Mm-hmm. And I said, three days, we had so much fun in, in, in Paris, France, in the Eiffel Tower. My kid's never been anywhere. And I said, you kids are old enough, you've got to go. Yeah. Two days later, have your bags ready to go, 8 o'clock in the morning. We got in the car, and we went to uh, the airport in Paris, and they didn't know anything until we got to the gates. And then we were late, because the taxi drivers took us to that's Charles de Gaulle. We're supposed to be going to Orly. So we were in traffic. We got there and they said, Mr. Wallace, we've been waiting for you. And the sign said, Barcelona, Spain. 
And they're like, oh my God. And they went all first class too. One of my daughters says, oh my God, I never knew they had beds on an airplane. My other daughter said, and they got pajamas too. Well, let's make it perfectly clear. I'm sitting here lying to you, telling you that coming is easy. It's the hardest job in America, 24 hours a day. Yeah. We be thinking, we gotta watch the news about yes. the shootings with the kids. We have to know everything. That's why I was talking about we should run for Congress. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But you know what? It, it, it is a rewarding job. And, you know, and I mean, this is just stuff that we come up with off the top of our head and we just hope it works. And just you hope it works. come along with us. <laughs> and then you get somebody stupid like me that walks out with his yellow pad. You know, I love my legal pad. Whether it works or not, I don't care. I'm doing these. Some of these jokes might work, might not. I don't care. And I love it. And the people love it too, you know. Yeah. I yeah. even did it on TV one time. I did the George, I did Arsenio Hall. And mm -hmm. I, said, I got some new jokes that might work, that may not work. I don't know, 1993. I said, I got to make sure these jokes work. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, it will hit in the right place. Mm -hmm. Writing jokes is serious business. You can still add tags to a joke you wrote six years ago, you know. Yeah. You know, it's just a beautiful thing. Like sometimes, like you said, like when we're performing, sometimes the audience members throw you something back. Come on now. About it, you add it to your material. What, the people don't know one joke can make a guy night. One well, We joke. know what we're doing. We know we got jokes that are funny, but yeah. here's a new joke with a twist. Yeah. Come on, somebody. Yeah, you let me open for you at the Flamingo. You let me open for you at the Westgate. And you also put me on that show you were hosting with Comedy Dynamics. Yes, yes, yes. Show. You had the people call me and you had them put me on that show. And I'm just forever yeah. grateful to you. Because you are doing such wonderful things. It's just amazing. And I'm blessed. I'm still working, you know. I've been doing comedy since 1883, a long, 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 long time. And I'm still doing it. I know you were looking for terrible, terrible road stories, but these were terribly good road stories. Yeah, you don't have one like mine, my terrible story. You just had a great career all the way through. <laughs> I had one terrible story in Hyannisport, Boston. They have a show there every year, and it's the Black Elites from all of America. Most people don't know about it. They mm -hmm. call it the Black Film Festival up there, and it's mm -hmm. the richest black people in America. And the guy that had uh, me and LeVar Walker and Mary J, he put us in a house way out in the woods. I mean, dark as hell on an island. And I just gone, oh, hell no, this is a horror story waiting to happen. And the doors were not locked. Somebody going to kill me. And I'm getting the hell out of here. So they woke up the next morning. I was gone. I found me a, a hotel on the golf course, a beautiful hotel. And so I thought it was being... I wasn't trying to be uppity or anything like that, but LeVar Walker said, one of the funniest men in America, he says, hell, if I had the money to get out of there, I would have gotten out also. So I was scared I was going to get killed, believe it or not. And I don't like sharing a house with a bunch of people that I don't know. Right. So sometimes right. I like to right. walk around right. in my drawers. I like to fart and do what I want to do. I love hotel living. I love hotel living. So yeah, now everybody nowadays got the camera going and they record you. So as soon as you fight your drawers, you're gonna get uploaded to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> you can go viral. But there's so Ooh. much you can talk about. It's just I really appreciate your time. Well, give the people your handles on social media so they can follow you if they aren't already doing it. Follow your behind. That's uh on Twitter at Mr. George Wallace, okay, at Mr. George Wallace. And Instagram, which not much is on, I gotta get better on it. That's uh, the real George Wallace. And I don't know what it is on TikTok, I ain't been on so long. But, <laughs> but I'm out there, and check on me, go to George Wallace TV, you know, see some things that I've done. Google me, I'm all over the place. But most of all, I'll be better when I come to your city 
and see you because I will be to your city soon. Or when you come to Las Vegas, you can go see the blue man or you can come see the black man. Life is good. And remember, when you stop laughing, you stop living. And on that note, I want to say thank you again. I can't wait to see you. I'm coming to Vegas as soon as your show is back up. And thank you. Yeah, because you're going to be working. <laughs> All right, I'm ready to work. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you God so much. God bless you and too. See, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode, but we got another one coming up next Comic Pierre from Def Jam, How to Be a Player, and Def Comedy Jam. You don't want to miss it. Nightmare Rose Stories is a production of Electrocast Media. Our executive producers are Mark Netter and Peter Rapelson. Our producer is April Simmons. Our editor is Jamal Holmes. Theme music by Emir Oshalai. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please give us a rating and tell your friends. If you don't like the show, please give us a rating and tell your friends. Until next time, I'm your host, Alicia Cooper, and keep your ears on the road. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.